This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. Good morning. Thanks for joining us for Morning Air here on Relevant Radio. It's Glenn and for John today. John off busy being one of Santa's helpers as the countdown is on here. Just a few scant days until Christmas. Hope it's going well for you that you've got to, uh, enough uh, spiritual space to uh, enjoy the season, to uh, really communicate with our Lord this season and see what uh, the Lord has in store for you as well as getting all those Christmas chores done, but uh, try and enjoy them along the way as well. We're going to enjoy uh, this next hour. we got another uh, Christmas-oriented story corner coming your way as we make our way through the latter few days of Advent as well. But now talking about uh, something that touches on a beautiful baby this time of year and all year long, and that's the life issue. Brian Gibson joins us from uh, the Twin Cities area. He's Executive Director of Pro-Life Action Ministries, organization that does and teaches sidewalk counseling outside abortion facilities around the country. They've saved thousands of babies over the years. And uh, Brian, a regular radio show in the Twin Cities as well, so he's well-versed in all things pro-life. Good morning, Brian. Happy Advent, and great to have you along this morning. Good morning, Glenn, and yes, happy Advent to you as we get closer to that wonderful celebration of Christmas. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you're all about those uh, beautiful little babies, uh, saving them through Pro-Life Action Ministries. As we uh, talk some of the the latest pro-life news this morning here on Morning Air on Relevant Radio, one of the things that, uh, as it seems like the nation on one side or the other prepares for a post-Roe v. Wade world is a look at increasing chemical abortions. Yes, uh, the... the, um... The use of the chemical abortion, abortion pill as it's often called now, um, has, has just had this dramatic increase, especially since about 2015, 2016. Um, in the reports that we see coming from uh, various locations uh, from, from, uh, on the national basis, we're seeing both from the CDC and from the Allen Goodmacher Institute, as well as what we see on the local level in, in, in states that have uh, robust reporting, Minnesota being one of those, uh, we see that uh, in in places where nationwide we're talking about the abortion pill being used in in place of surgical abortion in the first trimester is is now making up more than forty four percent of the abortions nationwide. In in places in particular locales, it may be much higher. Other places lower. Um, for instance, we we know in Minnesota that we're we're above 50% of the abortions taking place in the state of Minnesota are abortion pill abortions. And uh, then you've got other pockets where it's much lower, which makes it that, uh, that 44% nationwide. That's a pretty big number, and uh, we look to see that increasing. Talk about some of the reasons why, including, well, it's cheaper for essentially abortion businesses to have that than have someone come in for a surgical abortion. Well, you know, you know, Glenn, I think it's important to understand that, you know, when you talk about the number one reason why a woman has an abortion in the United States today is because they're available. And the abortion pill 
is making delivery and availability of of abortion um, much much quicker, much easier, much simpler for for the for the woman. Then you, as you mentioned, for the abortion facility, for the abortion doctors, uh, this is far less expensive to do, and they still can charge. A, a, a pretty good amount. They don't charge quite the same amount as they would for a surgical abortion, but the amount they're charging is greater uh, profit-wise than it would be for a surgical abortion. They don't have as many uh, costs involved. The pill itself is is far less expensive than than having an abortionist uh, on hand and so forth. So, so they're making more money. They're able to deliver these abortions far easier, and and that's where we really get into the biggest issue today, and that's the FDA this past week has lifted uh, rules. They already had lifted because of the pandemic. They were using the the claim that COVID-19 was was allowing for the lifting of, but now they have made these rule changes permanent. Well, yeah, that's a side effect of COVID. Uh, not only had so many uh, abortion centers stayed open in many parts of the country, when other medical things and regular surgeries, uh, non-emergency, were, were shut down across the country, but uh, abortion clinics were, uh, you know, protected to be wide open. But uh, the rules rolled back, so it was easier for one to get a hold of uh, these abortion pills. And now that has been rolled back. Uh, is there anything that can be done uh, in terms of... Uh, you know, medical oversight to, to get that uh, regulation back? Well, I think there's there can be. I've, first of all, we we would have to have a change in administration, I believe. Uh, this this is, you know, this is the results of who's been elected president in the last election. And, uh, and, and it was pretty much predicted when he started picking uh, his, his uh, members to fill these different uh, positions, the, the head of the FDA, uh, was was known for his abortion activism, not for his understanding of the FDA or drugs or anything like that. So, you know, it wasn't it wasn't surprising to see that uh, uh, abortion rules were going to be a very important part of what this individual would be looking at. And, and of course, now we have this this new ruling. Um, but the state there are several states around the country that have already required that uh, that the abortion pill be uh, delivered in person and not uh, by uh, uh, by mail order as it's now allowed and that's that's the big rule here that has changed that's been made permanent it was already taking place or has been taking place uh, under the the guise of COVID-19 but uh, we have uh, I, I believe we have 11 states that already have been enacted uh, laws in in their local states that require uh, that this be done in person, so that the the uh, woman seeking out the abortion must actually go to the abortion clinic, see the doctor, have the physical exam take place, and so forth before being able to receive the abortion pill. Talk, if you would, too, about some of the uh, the ways that these pills will be more and more and more available uh, now, not only that they're a little more legal uh, to get one's hands on right now, but uh, the emphasis in some rural areas that hadn't had access before. Well, that, yes, that's, uh, these are at-home abortions. Uh, again, the way the whole, the whole process works, it's a two- to three-pill regimen, depending upon how it's being handled, uh, primarily a two-pill regimen. The first pill is, is, uh, is 
dispensed or it had been traditionally handed out at an abortion facility now being mailed is designed to uh, cut off nutrition to the baby, to starve the baby to death. And then the second pill causes the woman to go into contractions and, and expel the baby. And these already were, you know, these, these were being done at home as far as the abortion end of it goes. Now it's being done at home without an exam taking place. And that means by mail order, they can be mailed. And it's already started because of these rules being lifted for the pandemic. Uh, all over areas around the country where abortion had not been available uh, in person at all. So, you know, every every county, every zip code, in fact, that was one of the mantras that were being used uh, uh, not too long ago by uh, a Planned Parenthood CEO, and that was that abortion being made available in every zip code in the United States. Uh, Joe Biden picked that up and actually made that statement at one point when he was campaigning for president. So uh, they now are. They're available anywhere where a woman can have it mailed to her. And uh, and because of that, uh, you know, abortion is spreading out away from the physical clinics to to practically everybody's home. Brian Gibson, our guest on this part of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio. Brian's executive director of Pro-Life Action Ministries. They do sidewalk counseling and uh, stay on top of all the, the pro-life news for us on a, a regular basis. Uh, talk a little, too, if you would, about how the fact that uh, it's not like popping an aspirin either. Oh, it's a very dangerous thing. The, the reason the FDA had the regulations they had prior to this change uh, were for the safety of the woman. You know, the abortion pill is an abortion. It's intended to kill the unborn child. So there's no concern for safety of that human life at all. The regulations concerns have been entirely for the safety of the woman. And we're, we're seeing that just, just on the, on ahead of this change taking place at the FDA, allowing these rules to be permanent instead of temporary during the pandemic, uh, a report came out of an organization called the Charlotte Lazor Institute. Uh, now, this is a pro-life organization, but they they do some very sound and solid research and so forth. And they went through a peer review study that showed that uh, that the incidence of abortion-related emergency room visits following a chemical abortion increased 507 percent between the years 2002 and 2015. Uh, overall, emergency room uh, events that have, that have increased uh, during that same period of time were, were astronomical as well. So we're talking about this huge increase of emergency room visits uh, because women are taking the abortion pill. And this is before, you know, 2015 was before the abortion pill became as widely used as it is today. So these these numbers are probably just a tip of the iceberg compared to what's happening now six years later. Ryan, do you see this as coincidental with a possible rollback of Roe v. Wade? Well, you, you can't... You, you, I, I don't think it's coincidental, no. I think this is intentional. Uh, the politics being played around abortion has, has always been uh, uh, amazing to watch in, in both the positive and the negative sense. This being the negative, um, the, the abortion uh, 
activists and and uh, the pro-abortion politicians uh, can see the handwriting on the wall. Uh, you know, Roe v. Wade is on the block. It it may be in its last breath before uh, being overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court. That we don't know for sure, but it it looks pretty strong that way. And uh, and what I've watched over decades is that every time there is a threat that uh, that uh, everyone seems to believe that Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court, the abortion movement goes in a direction to increase abortions in any way that they can. And this certainly is a, a means for increasing abortions across the United States. You know, what uh, what does it look like uh, for the pro-life movement in terms of some of these, uh, well, the rulings won't be out by Christmas here, but uh, the court not long ago heard the Dobbs case from Mississippi. It upheld the Texas heartbeat law, kind of Christmas presents for those who, who love life. It could change the landscape come uh, the end of the court session by June, but uh, it has to have uh, people feeling pretty good. Uh, not that the battle is over by any means. Uh, there'll be different ways the battle will be enjoined, and we'll talk about that in a second, but to, to be heartened by the Supreme Court actions. Well, it is. It, it, it's, you know, the we don't know, again, we don't know that they're going to overturn Roe, but we are, you know, everyone is very, very certain that there's going to be at least a positive outcome with regard to some greater restrictions being allowed on a state-by-state basis, um, should it be that it is the full overturning of Roe, uh, you know, th- there's going to be a moment to take to rejoice in that, uh, but <laughs> that's that's all it's going to be. Uh, for those who live in states where where uh, it will automatically be illegal to have abortions, that's, that'll be a, a longer rejoicing taking place, but uh, many of us, the battle will just really begin when that happens. We've got a very divided country on uh, several issues. Abortion, of course, uh, almost chief among them. Do you foresee even, uh, we, you know, had several seasons of protest in the last couple of years for a variety of reasons. Do you uh, see an abortion ruling perhaps sparking some more of those? Well, I, good question. And, and that's, of course, that's, that's a prediction that's hard to, to, to make. I think the, the best place to look is to what's going on in Texas right now uh, to determine whether we're going to have some widespread, uh, d- you know, upheaval in the country over this, um, I, I don't believe we will. Uh, I think we'll have pockets of it. It'll happen on a much milder level than what we saw last summer, by 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 all means. Um, but it 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 still will be some some sort of rallying and protesting that'll take place. We we've seen the so-called women's marches, which really have been pro-abortion rallies. Uh, the, the last one was kind of a fizzle, even though they already were talking about the overturning of Roe v. Wade at that time, and that was just uh, several months ago in the summer. Um, so with with Texas and the heartbeat law being allowed to stay in effect while it was being appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, and then the U.S. Supreme Court allowing it to continue, saying the federal government can't sue the state of Texas over this, and, and really severely restricting what lawsuits could be brought with that law, well, we've seen virtually no upheaval in Texas. Um, you know, and, and abortions are illegal from about five or six weeks gestation on in, in the state when you can start measuring and hearing that, that, that fetal heartbeat. 
So uh, with that in mind, more than half the abortions in the state of Texas are not taking place in Texas anymore because of that, that law. And, uh, and, and it's been pretty calm on the protest front. Uh, so I, I think that's a bit of a gauge for us uh, uh, of what we might expect around the country. What uh, are you looking at uh, doing maybe any differently after Roe v. Wade, uh, one of your main states you operate in? Minnesota looks to be one that would uh, still try and uphold abortion at this point. Yeah, well, that that's where it becomes a state challenge, a state-by-state challenge, and uh, the efforts uh, need need to refocus and, and rechange on how we go about what we're doing. Um, you know, for for decades now, most of the effort to, when it comes politically, when it comes to the right to life movement, uh, has been focused on on the U.S. Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade, and and should that really happen with this Dobbs case, uh, that then then we got to shift gears and change directions a little bit with with regard to uh, the politics and and the legislative actions that can be taken to try and outlaw abortion state by state. You know, we have 26 states right now, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, where abortion will be either illegal or very severely restricted. And um, so that's a large number. And Minnesota, Illinois, you know, New York, California, Washington, Oregon, um, maybe even Colorado are, are states where it's clear and and expected that abortion will remain legal for a while. Will be the real serious battleground states to to make abortion illegal, um, and and so the, the, these will become centers where women will come to our states uh, for abortions, coming from states where they cannot get them. So this will be this will be a very divided nation, state by state starting to sound like something in the 1850s and uh, uh, with, with before, before the Civil War. You know, states are going to align that are pro-life. States are going to align that are pro-abortion. And there will be those that will also be kind of in the middle. So <laughs> there's going to be a lot of work to do. As some states will be open for abortion, others not, uh, an increase in chemical abortions, what will the work that you do to save babies look like, and how might that change? Well, the, the abortion facilities still are, will remain open. In fact, they will become the centers that, that uh, travelers from out of state will want to go to. Um, we probably will see an increase of actual physical abortion facilities, I can imagine, uh, Planned Parenthood expanding and putting up uh, many uh, abortion facilities along state borders, uh, towns that are near the states that uh, that have outlawed abortion altogether. Um, there are there are mobile units that are out already that are are intending to go along the borders of states. So there, there's going to be work that we're going to have to do that's that will be different with regard to being present. In, in other locations than in a major city where, where these currently, where the uh, abortion facilities physically reside. Uh, but we'll still have that work to do as well. We, we'll need to be there out there offering hope and help, the love of God, the wealth of help that's available through the churches and through the pro-life uh, agencies, these amazing pregnancy help centers that are all over the place. Um, we'll, we'll still be working with them and still be working to save every life that we can until we can end this 
craziness of killing unborn children altogether. Well, Brian, we thank you for your continued good work uh, on the radio and more importantly on those sidewalks and training others to do the same, to be that last line of defense in front of abortion centers across America. Brian Gibson with Pro-Life Action Ministries. Find out more at PLAM.org. Bishop Brendan Cahill is next as we continue our pro-life discussion this morning. A new story corner is well coming up as Morning Air continues here on Relevant Radio and on the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. God rest you. Every gentleman, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born upon this day to save us. Good morning, thanks for joining us here. Got a little Christmas and Advent music going for you here as morning here continues. Glendon for John today, off being a helper, John is for uh, Santa, so uh, we're hanging out and uh, goofing off a little bit with you today. Got the story corner, a great Christmas related story corner coming up before the end of the hour, but now uh, time to. Take a peek at what Christmas looks like in Victoria, Texas. Uh, we have Bishop Brendan Cahill joining us, a regular here on Morning Air, the Bishop of Victoria, Texas. Bishop Cahill, great to have you along. Good morning. How are you doing today? Hey, doing well, doing well. You guys expecting a white Christmas down there? I don't think so. I think it might be a little warm <laughs> for us. <laughs> I, said, uh, I think we're going to have a good day. It's a little chilly this morning, though. Uh, for us, it's chilly. <laughs> it's, it's cold. Oh, very good, very good. Hey, before we uh, dive into talking about Holy Innocence a little bit, but uh, what does Christmas like and what are cri- uh, Christmas preparations for you in Victoria there just a couple days before Christmas Day here? Well, you know, one of the things that I tell people is a little different being the bishop than being a pastor, because this is, for the pastor of the parish and the parochial vicar, busy, hectic time of year. Um, you're helping people with confessions the last minute, you know, because you want to really prepare your heart and your soul for Christmas, getting all your decorations, encouraging the choir. So for the pastors, it's kind of hectic and busy. For a bishop, it's kind of quiet because everything's being taken care of in the parishes. It, it slows down a little bit. So actually, for me, like like today's a, a quiet day. I'm in South Texas in the country, enjoying nature. Sun's about to rise. So it, it's kind of different for me it's quiet then when it gets towards christmas on christmas eve i celebrate a four o'clock mass at um a convent incarnate ward and blessed sacrament sisters and it's a vibrant religious community of women in our diocese in victoria and what they have in their convent they have a health care wing for the retired sisters and those who um, are infirm and so basically on the infirm wing, I celebrate Mass with the sisters at 4 o'clock. And that's what uh, Bishop Fellhauer used to do before me. And so I do it. So you can just imagine how holy that Mass is. I mean, you're with probably 12 women who have given their whole lives a service, uh, four or five women who take care of them, the nursing staff and the other people. It's a very emotional, beautiful Mass. And so do that at four. So for me, you have pastors that your your mass. It's the mass the day before Christmas Eve is like packed. There's kids everywhere. It's uh, your choirs you're working on. It, it's all. It's a stressful time for the pastors. For me, it's kind of a quiet time to reflect and to pray. Uh, 
say that four o'clock mass, the sisters have uh, dinner with them afterwards. Then um, I can rest. And the midnight mass, the cathedral is a big one for us. And uh, of course, you you know, the, the choirs, the music is fantastic. The, uh, you, you just feel so joyful on that day. And so the midnight mass is at the cathedral. Then on uh, Christmas Day, I go home. So uh, I go home and uh, my uh, family get to have Christmas with them. We, we have like a, uh, uh, a gathering of family. So, so for me, it's kind of opposite for the pastors. Like me, it's kind of more quiet and reflective. And um, just to focus on the gift of Christ in this world with the, you know, the suffering and sadness and the things that we all deal with. But to know God loves you so much that that child was born. Amen to that, uh, Bishop Cahill. But uh, through your life as a, a priest and a pastor, as well as a, as a bishop, it is a you know hugely important and in its own way busy time of year. Even as a bishop, of course, do you find yourself maybe uh, appreciating Christmas in, in in different ways, or something might come to you differently year to year? Oh my goodness, absolutely. That that's what uh, I'm thinking this year. It's just kind of aware of, um, I guess, the world in which we live and the, the suffering and, and doubts, you know, I, I think a lot of people are struggling with, is, is God good? Is there, is God present really there for me? Um, and, you know, when we deal with the, I guess, the crises we have in life and there's, there's things globally and worldwide. And I think the, the news sometimes, they tend to almost knock us down with, just trying to scare us and stuff. And then in the midst of it, you might have doubts or fears. And then with Christmas, it helps you focus on the beauty and good that, yeah, there is creator. And so even like for me, like today, I say about nature, like just to, to get outside in nature sometime and see that there's a order to things, how God created the, the beauty and the, the animals, the trees, the, the sunrise, the sunset. Um, to thank God for all that he gives us. And then even in difficult times when we're struggling to make it by day by day, that we can focus on the little things that God has given us. And ultimately, you know, and I know, and, and we all know what what makes life beautiful is love uh, of friends and of a, a, a family of people around us. And all the other stuff is beautiful and good. But what really lasts is the love and the friendship. And so, again, Christmas helps you focus on that because it's like that little stable in Bethlehem. You, you know, you think there's nothing material or anything that they have or things that we get worried about. But what they have is each other and more importantly than each other is trust in God, that, that God is the one who brought us into life. God has a plan for you, for me, for each of us that you know, sometimes it's confusing and all that, but God is, is working it out and he's always present for us. So Christmas has a beautiful, I guess, the image of the simplicity of Christmas is it's a reminder to us that it, it maybe when things are, are difficult or like right now, these times just seem so challenging because day to day you hear different trying to figure it with, with, with COVID and, and wonder how, to, how to, what are we supposed to do. At the end of the day, you trust in God who, who created you, and God loves you. And God, I remember one of my uh, pastors one time. It's kind of like he would have born. He would have been born in a manger if it was just for you. You know, he loves each of us as individuals that much. 
Yeah. Oh, he certainly does. And uh, it helps us to have an even more joyous Christmas if we realize yeah. that. Uh, I, I know one yeah. thing, too, and we've talked in the, in the past about your love of uh, nature, your love of outdoors. We know that that first Christmas uh, was very much in nature, all the way down to our Lord laying in a manger. And, oh, my goodness. Uh, are, yeah. are there, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Are there are there ways maybe we can appreciate this season a little more, uh, this Christmas season, by trying to experience uh, the outdoors a little more? Perhaps it's that walk in new fallen snow or, you know, just a, a beautiful sunrise or sunset in some of the warmer climates and kind of uh, cooperate with nature in celebrating the birth of our Savior. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, think, think of the image of uh, the, the darkness was overcome by the light. And to think of, uh, uh, yeah, I'd... I, not familiar with snow, but to, to walk around uh, uh, new fallen snow, and, and I can imagine the beauty of a sunrise or a sunset, um, and the quiet. That, that's one thing I do remember, like being so the quiet of it, and to think that it, it, the the world stood still. You know, when the child was born, I, I think of that sometimes. It's like they'll say that before the angels started singing, it's like the moment of silence, and probably one of the most silent things I remember is one time walking in snow and I think the snow must reflect the, the, the noise or something, but it's so quiet and peaceful. And to think of those images of that the world stood still when the savior was born to bring new life to all of us and to, to kind of give our hearts and our souls over to that. I think, and I do think, yeah, cause I think the business and the noise, and I think that's, that may be a temptation of our time. There's so much, you know, going on and, and always go, 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 go. And to say to sometimes just stop and to, to I mean, I had a pastor one time. It was funny. It was, my senior Joe Culver was in Lamarck, but I was young and I was energetic. Wanted to do things, do things, do things. And I think one time I kind of told him I was kind of bored. I wanted to do more and more. And he actually asked me, he said, Brendan, you ever smell the roses? And I was like, what roses? And he said, the roses in the backyard. And, you know, sometimes just to stop. And maybe that's it about the nature. It's like you can stop and look and see there, there's a beauty to this. And um, even in times of doubt or concern. And then that's, that's what I said. And then that's where we lift out our hearts in prayer for the whole world. And I think our Holy Father is so beautiful when he invites us because then we understand the, the, the issue with migrants, how they're struggling. They're on the road. And, you know, people who are hungry and need and people who um, have lost a loved one, uh, people who, uh, you know, your heart reaches out to them. And those bonds of love is kind of what, you know, brings life to the world. And so uh, um, I guess as we go on, I do think I, I said that in the midst of busyness because you know we all know how it is. There's a million things to do. You got a list. Of, you got a list of things to be able to take a little time out and to say, God, I I, I, I love you. And I give myself to you. And the, that's where the Christmas carols are so beautiful. You know, the little songs of giving your heart to that child and giving everything to Jesus and knowing that He receives whatever you give. Whatever you give, he'll receive. You don't have to give the biggest thing, but whatever you give, he'll, he'll, he'll take it with joy. Bishop Cahill, you mentioned migrants, and uh, your diocese isn't right along the border there, but uh, when we think of the Holy Family uh, on the move with no place to stay, and we contemplate that, uh, can that uh, soften our heart a little bit in terms of the migrant situation? 
Yeah, and you just think of, of Joseph, the, the journey to Egypt, um, you know, the, the, the leadership of, of the father and protecting Mary and, and the child. And, you know, it's a beautiful thing, our spiritual life, too, because we have a mind and a heart. You can kind of put yourself in that place and imagine what that road would have been like all those years ago. And, that you know, they had to live in a foreign land. I mean, they they had to go to Egypt, and he had to trade, and, I mean, he had to make it by. I mean, he had to feed his family. Um, he had to take care of them. Um, Mary had to find, to raise a child. How did, your first couple of years, how do you raise a child? And they had to find a community that welcomed them, that was hospitable to them. And so it it, it does give a reminder of that, that um, what, what, what families are going through and, and to, to obviously offer the prayer and sensitivity and to know the love of God for every child. Uh, I mean, there's no child that God doesn't love. And to know that no child God hasn't created and to, to pray in a sensitivity for that and to pray for our hearts to be sensitive. And so, yeah, it, it, it's true. And you're right, we live we live uh, close to the border. So we we kind of, there, there are places like, in, well, in Brownsville, uh, I mean, Sister Norman and Bishop Danny, they're, they're just incredible. Uh, caring for for the migrants in El Paso, Laredo. Uh, that's one does the Catholic. You have to be proud of your brothers and sisters are taking care of the ones on the road. Bishop Cahill, as we talk about uh, beautiful, precious babies uh, this time of year, none more beautiful and precious, of course, uh, than the celebration of the birth of our Lord. Very tough time for anyone who has lost a young one for any reason. We're going to talk about some of the uh, great work you do in a special Mass coming up a few days after Christmas when we continue with Bishop Brendan Cahill as Morning Air rolls on next here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Said the night wind to the little land. Do you see what I see? See what I see Way up in the sky, little land Do you see what I see? It's the countdown to Christmas here as we make our way through through the last few days of Advent. Glad in for John here on Morning Air on Relevant Radio. Our story corner coming up, about 10 minutes for you. Another Christmas-oriented uh, story. One of my all-time favorites, if I must add, to That's uh, coming up in a little bit. Right now we continue our conversation with Bishop Brendan Cahill. He's the bishop uh, outside of uh, Houston in Victoria, Texas, joining us this morning. We talk about beautiful babies, Bishop uh, Cahill, this time of year with uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's, uh, of course, just a uh, tragic anytime someone loses uh, a very, very young one, and maybe so especially this time of year. And I know you've got a, a special thought about that, as well as a special Mass coming up a few days after Christmas, too. Yeah, Glenn, thank you for letting me talk about this, because it's on December 28th, uh, 11 a.m., in a place that's very special in our area called Raphael's Refuge. And there's a woman named Mildred Elam, they really had a vision and the spiritual sensitivity of founding a place of, of refuge for men and women who have lost 
uh, children have lost loved ones and to have a place to, to, to pray, to be, to be loved, to be supported, to cry to God, but, but to know God's presence. Raphael, the archangel healer. And it's a very, it's a, a beautiful place. It's by Flatonia, Texas. So for those who are, you know, you have listeners in Austin, San Antonio, uh, Houston, Corpus Christi. It's kind of in the middle of all those areas. And it, it's a, a, a place kind of, refuge is a perfect word for it, uh, uh, to get away, to find peace and consolation. And what the, they've done since I've been, this precedes my time in Victoria, so there's a tradition here of on December 28th to have a special mass uh, to, to pray for the innocents and to pray for their families. And it includes, you know, adult children. It includes, you know, the loss of, of loved ones and the grieving. And have a place where uh, on that Feast of Holy Innocence, um, we have a, a mass and, and it's a beautiful celebration. And, you know, um, that's one thing I just wanted to mention that. I appreciate that, that I, I could bring it up. The days after Christmas, each day has a special day of, reflecting on the importance of, of Christ being born. So, so you know, you may have the Feast of St. Stephen or St. John the Evangelist, Feast of the Holy Family. And in the middle of there is the Feast of the Holy Innocence, dealing with the mystery of the suffering of, of the, the, the innocent life that was lost because of the, the anger, the sinfulness, the evil in the world that uh, uh, attacked the children and to to pray for God's healing and grace for, for people who may suffer loss. And I, I just found it, for me, it's, it's been a very um, beautiful, moving mass to have. And so I'd like the people to know that maybe live in our area particularly, but for wherever you are, that on the Feast of Holy Innocence may be a special day uh, to ask for God's grace and healing or to reach out to someone you know that you're praying for them. Um, you know how that is. Just if someone tells you you're praying for them, that means a lot for us. And so um, I appreciate that. It's called Raphael's Refuge. It's December 28th, 11 a.m. It's near Flatonia, Texas. For those who are in the area uh, may know that. And to know of our prayers for all families who are, are suffering loss at this time. Well, that's one of those things people might not talk about so much. More people than we realize yeah. have uh, lost kids to miscarriage, to abortion, oh, yeah. to stillbirth, infant death, then we might realize, uh, again, as with any loss, really, there are no magic words to say. It's usually our loving presence that helps. But uh, anything you could say to those who have loved ones who might be struggling with this as far as the best way we can help? I, I think that, I think you're right. The one thing, especially with us, with the Mass and the Rosary, that by our having an intention as we're praying for that person and to to pray for God's guidance for, for whatever our loved one needs. So we know we may not know what to say or how to approach it, but just to pray for guidance at, at the Mass or as we pray the Rosary. And then that that's what I've heard from different people that sometimes just acknowledging it, that, that you're right, we don't have the words, and not to try to answer it and say, Whatever to explain it away, just the the gentle the touch or the the word that you know I'm praying for you, and it's meaningful. And I think that's what what Midge at Raphael's Refuge, just acknowledging that there's a place that that of prayer, and that there are people every day praying, 
and it's grounded in the Eucharist and the Marian devotion, and to know that that there is a a, a spiritual um, prayer for people, and so that's I guess we you know I tend to encourage so just the Eucharist and the Marian devotion with the Rosary, and then to trust God's guidance. And then not, not to get overly concerned, you're right, I know some of you don't know the words to say, but just that, that intentionally we're praying for our brothers and sisters. And there's nothing you've heard I like to say is that the spiritual effects of our, our prayer are more than we ever realize. And that just to have that, that ground in the spiritual, um, God's work in the healing in ways that are mysterious beyond our understanding. Uh, Bishop Cahill, we talk a lot about the life issue here on uh, a Catholic radio yeah. network, obviously, including uh, earlier this hour, we talked with Brian Gibson from Pro-Life Action Ministries about the increase in the use of chemical abortions and how that may increase mm. even even further when it comes to uh, Roe v. Wade maybe being done away with. That would uh, preclude abortion in, in certain states, but abortion, sadly, will, will still be out there. I don't know that we talk enough when we talk about the abortion issue about uh, the hope and healing that is available for those that have been touched by abortion. Absolutely. And to, to look at it, whichever diocese or your local church, for any type of healing, that even like our Gabriel projects across the, 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 the land, there's people who are devoted to take care of the children, but also these people are very sensitive that, that you know we want to bring hope and healing to any men or women who are affected by it. And so to know that there are people you can reach out to. That's one to, uh, I want to say to any listener, if if you're struggling with whatever situation and you don't know who to reach out to, uh, your local church, there's people there who you can reach out to, who, you know, um, can can bring that sense of, the other words we use, the hope in a situation that may not feel hopeful and bring healing when a person is wounded. To know that, um, I would say from the national thing, I would say the USCCB, you can look on our pro-life. We have a really good pro-life activities website that really can lead you to different ministries and uh, point you to different areas, and and to know of that. And then for us who are listeners today, that, that you know we know we keep our prayer, we pray for the healing for people who are broken and hurted and hurting. Yeah, we want to be aware of that. We want to be kind of generous of spirit as well while we're encouraging people to you know, not end that pregnancy, but to, to offer uh, hope and healing and, and, you know, a chance for a new start to those that have gone through that as well. Speaking of new starts, uh, probably uh, not bad to, to get in a word. Uh, there might be still some penance services going on this final week of Advent as well. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was telling you. I, I say for the parishes, how, how busy it is because this is, you know, the, the pastors, you know, you, you, you want to prepare your hearts for, for, the, uh, for the Christmas. And I say sacramental life, uh, really to pray to make a, a good confession. And even as 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 we're talking, I, I say that's one of the things. I, I think the merciful heart, you know, that that you know, say, am I really uh, charitable or loving towards every human being? Um, and you know, even some of the Christmas mystery that that Christ was born for us while we were sinners, and and he, he God knew. Either he would be rejected, yet he reached out in love. And sometimes I get so fired up about people I disagree with, and 
to say, Lord, may you have a tender heart that my witness can be a light that can break through any darkness and that the, the sound of my voice may be like the sound of the angels crying glory and bringing people to God. And so uh, I think there's always a time for uh, to pray, pray for our hearts to be uh, open to receive the Savior. And so you're right, because today is the 21st, right? So we have about three or four more days. And uh, um, uh, I think you could look at, at it, it, your dioceses. There tends to be some churches, maybe some larger churches. They might have more times available. Because um, I also say you have to be sensitive to the poor priests are really working hard right now. So sometimes it's like they got a million things going on. But to say that, uh, to, to see, I would say if it's possible, take advantage of that, that opportunity for preparing your heart. If you haven't had a chance before in Advent, there may be a penance service coming up and, and to look for that. Well, Bishop Cahill, always a joy to have you along. Uh, your joy for life shines through the radio here. We're so happy to have you uh, being the shepherd of the folks down in Victoria, Texas. We wish you a, a very Merry Christmas and a blessed New Year and look forward to more chatting uh, and hearing what's uh, going on in South Texas there in the in the coming New Year. So thank you very much uh, and have uh, a very God, Merry Christmas. God bless you, Glenn. I pray God's blessing to be upon you and upon all the listeners today. May the Lord Jesus, being born in the manger, be a sign of hope, and may he receive the Holy Spirit of healing and health in this season. We pray God's blessing to be with you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Bishop Brendan Cahill joining us. Thank you, Bishop Cahill, as we continue time for today's Christmas-oriented Story Corner here on Morning Air on Relevant Radio. Our story today called, Why Christmas is Important. There once was a man who didn't believe in God, and he didn't hesitate to let others know that he felt religion and religious holidays like Christmas were just a lot of childish fairy tales. He said that religion was a crutch for people who were too stupid to figure out things for themselves or too fearful to live by their own strength. If God were real, he sure wouldn't do some of the dumb things people said he did. His wife, however, did believe in God and was always quick to say that she was born again. She raised their children also to have faith in God despite his disparaging comments. One snowy Christmas Eve, his wife was taking their children to a Christmas Eve service in the farm community in which they lived. And she asked him, as always, to come, but he refused. What a lot of nonsense, he said. Why would God lower himself to come to earth as a man? That's ridiculous. So she and the children left, and he stayed home. While they were gone, the wind and snow grew stronger until it was a blizzard. As the man looked out the window, all he saw was a blinding snowstorm. He sat down to relax before the fire, knowing his wife would not venture back onto the road till the storm had abated, and well, he knew there were good snow tires on their SUV, so nothing to do except enjoy the peaceful evening. Then he heard a loud thump. Something had hit the window. Then another thump. He looked out but couldn't see more than a few feet. When the snow let up a little, he ventured outside to see what could have been beating on his window. In the field near his home, he saw a flock of wild geese. Apparently they'd been flying south for the winter when they got caught in the snowstorm and couldn't go on. They were lost and stranded by the storm. They just flapped their wings and flew around the field in low circles, blindly and aimlessly. A couple of them had flown into his window, it seemed. The man felt sorry for the geese. He wanted to help them. Now the barn would be a great place for them to stay, he thought. It was warm and safe, and surely they could spend the night and wait out the storm. So he walked over to the barn and opened the doors wide. Then he watched and waited, hoping they would notice the open barn and go inside. 
But the geese just fluttered around aimlessly, didn't seem to notice the barn or realize what it could mean for them. The man tried to get their attention, but that just seemed to scare them, and they moved further away. He went into the house and came back with some bread, broke it up, made a breadcrumb trail leading to the barn, and they still didn't catch on. Now he was getting frustrated. He got behind them and tried to shoo them toward the barn, but they only got more scared and scattered in every direction except toward the barn. Nothing he did could get them to go into the barn where they'd be warm and safe. Why don't they follow me, he exclaimed. Can't they see this is the only place where they can survive the storm? And he thought for a moment and then realized they just wouldn't follow a human. If only I were a goose, then I could lead them, he said out loud. Then he had an idea. He went into the barn, got one of his own geese, and carried it in his arms as he circled around behind the flock of wild geese. Then he released it. His goose flew through the flock and straight into the barn, and one by one the other geese followed it to safety. He stood silently for a moment as the words he'd spoken a few minutes earlier replayed in his mind. If only I were a goose, then I could save them. Then he thought about what he'd said to his wife earlier. Why would God want to be like us? That's ridiculous. But suddenly, it all made sense. That's what God had done. We were like the geese, blind, lost, perishing. God had his son become like us so he could show us the way and save us. That was the meaning of Christmas, he realized. The winds and blinding snow died down and his soul became quiet and he pondered this wonderful thought. Suddenly, he understood what Christmas was about, why Christ had come 